What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I would, you know, I'm your host, Jeff Morton, um, as I forget who I am as I bring the, the stuff down. Uh, today, I got a special guest. Um, this man uh, has many hats, and let me allow, allow me to go through them. Uh, writes for the Action Network, uh, where he's known as Gamblor. Um, you have uh, HP Basketball on Twitter, which does not stand for Howard Phillips. That stands for that stands for Hardwood Paroxysm, which was a, uh, a, a something that symbolized Deke- I mean, all Nuggets fans should know this: Dikembe Mutombo lying on the on the ground with basketball in the air. Hardwood Paroxysm. Just think think, think of that. Um, and uh, he also is one of the co-hosts of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. And I'm sure there are things that I'm missing, but you know who it is at this point. It is Matt Moore. Hello, Matt. Hey, man. How are you? I am okay. I think, uh, I think I am adjusting to real life now, now that I'm fully vaccinated, but it's a step-by-step process. How about you? Uh, hanging in. I'm still trying to get my courage up. I want to go back to Perkins for the first time in like... <laughs> 14 months. I really want bacon and eggs um, and not have to cook it myself. And I'm trying to get my courage up to do that. I've been out to eat it uh, outdoors <laughs> twice. That's been exciting. Going to the Nuggets games has been a trip. Seeing the crowds back. Um, it's, there was a, I went to the gas station the other day and there was a vaccinated uh, guest do not have to wear a mask. And I was like, that doesn't, that can't be right. <laughs> um, and I continue to wear a mask. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'll say this up here in uh, Larimer County, I checked and t- about 10 days ago, we were at 52 cases a day and we're down in the teens. And that just shows you how quickly this thing is being halved by the increase in vaccinations. So uh, optimistic about the future, happy to have basketball back. It's been a great playoff so far. Uh, excited to talk more about the Nuggets with you. All right. Well, this is the first time you've been on and uh, I think I had you on uh, last year and uh First time you've been on since I've moved to Spreaker. So when you, when anyone listens to this now, you're going to hear ads, which are not read by me, which has uh, been an adjustment for people. I've had a couple of people reach out to me. It's like, Jeff, you got ads on your podcast now. I know, big time. I don't get paid for them, but big time. Anyway, uh, this is a interesting time. And I kind of want to go over something because I got a story. And I, I told you this via text last night, but I, I got a story that I think is like illustrative of the complicated relationship that the city of Denver has with Carmelo Anthony. And uh, it goes back way, 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 way back in my history of writing and covering the Denver Nuggets. And uh, before we get started, I kind of want to go over this. Uh, it, this was all kind of began with uh, Mark Spears, who de- since deleted this tweet, um, not taking, uh, uh, he was kind of offended at the, the booing of Carmelo Anthony. And uh, I know Mark a little. Uh, Mark was the beat reporter for the Denver Post uh, for about six years back out in the mid, in the early, to, early aughts, as they say. And uh, just for you, did before I tell my anecdote, what was your reaction to this? Because you and I have known that they, the Nuggets fans have been booing Mello every time he comes to Denver. So was, what is your reaction as someone who is uh, also a national reporter? So, you know, as a, as a transplant, I think there's a tendency to believe that I would be more in the line of where most of the media is, which is like, how could they boo him? Like, what he meant to the team and all this stuff and, and all that. Um, I have nothing but unending respect for Mark Spears. I think Mark Spears is one of the best reporters the league has ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up in the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark is also very player centric. And so like Mark has done a good job of rebalance. Like he was part of a wave of reporters. I think that rebalance things towards the black athlete in right. modern times. And that's a viewpoint. I think that was overlooked a lot given how white the media is, including myself. And so I have a lot of respect for Mark. Um, I think Mark is an incredible person. I think Mark is an incredible writer. I just happen to disagree with the tweet, which was deleted. And I don't mind deleting it because I've deleted lots of tweets when I don't want to deal with the, the fallback on it. Um, my thing is this. It's not about mellow. It's not about, it's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's about the city. Um, when you do what he did, you are telling a city, you are not good enough for me. Right. That 
I know that we won here. Like when a player doesn't win in a place, you can't blame them. When Carl Anthony Towns inevitably asks out in Minnesota, you're not going to be able to blame him. Right. They put bad teams around him constantly. Like KG said in his Hall of Fame induction speech, uh, I wish I got into Boston sooner. Right. right. And that's got to make Wolves fans be like, hey, man, we had some good times. But he also said that he like wished that he could have brought Minnesota a title. But he, a lot of this is KG's got an ongoing beef with ownership. But like this is a lot of it is if you don't win, I understand it. Melo won. They went to the 2009 conference finals. They put a team in the playoffs every single year. The year after they went to the conference finals, George gets cancer and the entire season falls apart. And the season after that, he asked out in order to get out. Sam Amick, a good friend of mine, good friend of mine to Sam Amick. But Sam was like, I don't even know why they're booing him. He was important in making sure that it was a trade so they weren't left with the bag. And I was like, do you really think? That Carmel Anthony was telling James Dolan, hey, make sure you get some assets back to Denver. I don't want to leave them in the lurch. No! He was probably mad that Dolan gave up as much as he did. It's been 10 years. I get it. They'll figure out a way to retire Melo. They're not retiring that number because that belongs to the best nugget in, his, in Nuggets in franchise history. Mm-hmm. But they'll figure out a way to honor him, and that's fine. People will cheer, and that's okay. Carmelo Anthony told the city of Denver, you're not good enough for me. I'd rather go to this trash-ass franchise where I will make one second round in seven years, get my ass handed to me by Roy Hibbert, and that is what I prefer because it's nicer. You do not have to sit there and just take it. You do not – you can appreciate a player's right to make decisions about their career. If Melo left in free agency, I'd be like, look, that's how it goes. It sucks. That's how it goes, right? right? He right. didn't leave in free agency. He asked out. He tanked that season in 2011 mm-hmm. and made the Knicks worse, by the way, when he got there. <laughs> and, and all of these things happened. Like, at some point, you just have to look at this and be like, a city has a right to feel good about itself. If you're a fan of a team, you're a fan of a city. Like, that team is supposed to stand for the city. I know we live in a player empowerment era, but there are some concepts that remain as part of our social fabric. And the other thing I'll say is we ignore this in the player empowerment era because the com- the conflict is made between owners and front offices are wrapped into that, which isn't fair, and players, and that's it. Basketball is an ecosystem. Coaches, trainers, high school coaches, AAU, college, agents, teams, executives, doctors, trainers, owners, and fans. Those people all have a stake in this. This does not work if the fans are not part of it. They get a stake in this. And when you do them the way that Mello did them, they have a right to hold that against you and boo. Right. And uh, I, I, I agree with that completely. And I never had an, I mean, just, just my own relationship with Mello, I never had any issue with Mello. I knew him a little, but not not very well. Uh, the last time I actually saw Melo in person was when he came back with Oklahoma City, and uh, he said hi to me in the hallway. Uh, and he recognized me, which was like mind-blowing to me because he and I didn't have a ton of, uh, ton of interaction. But uh, I, there's a story that I think kind of is illustrative of this. And the, I started blogging with Denver Stiffs in 2009, and really kind of things ramped up with the melodrama. And in 2010, things went nuts. And being a blogger in 2010, when Carmelo Anthony was doing this, was insane. Because uh, not only were we Denver Stiffs getting all this traffic at the time from uh, all these people in New York, uh, particularly New Jersey at the time, where, it's, where, where the Nets were, because there was all these rumors of trades, uh, one of which was uh, pretty close that featured Derek Favors. And there was that going on within this whole landscape. Well, we, the bloggers were, weren't exactly, and then you were go, covering you know, the NBA around this time too. And you, so you understand that the entryway into respected media around that time wasn't, hard, was, wasn't very uh, easy. And there was a lot of yeah. things that Denver Stiffs had to overcome, uh, particularly the history of firegeorgecarl.com, which was something that set us <laughs> on the wrong foot with the organization. Um, but all that aside, we got invited to things. And Andy and I went to a, um, a, a fan-centric party that we were invited to uh, by the Nuggets 
um, we were actually, it was a, it was a small gathering. I'll put it to you that way. It was a place called the big game downtown. That's no longer there. I don't even know what they replaced it with. And, uh, it was a month before Carmelo Anthony was traded. So this was January of 2011. Andy and I are there and we're just, you know, talking. I talked to Scott Hastings. That's where I first met Scott. Um, I had met Josh before that, but got to know Josh a lot. Everyone was there. Masai uh, talked to me quite extensively during that time, Masai Jerry. And it was a fun time and because the Nuggets were beginning to embrace the whole blogosphere. Carmelo Anthony was there um, and hanging out in a very darkened corner with with Lala and a couple others. George Carl comes over and I can tell the story now and I've been holding on to this for 10 years. Uh, Carmelo, uh, George Carl comes over, recognizes Andy because those two had repaired their relationship and he begins talking to us. And then he looks over at me, he looks over at him and he says, you better fucking talk about Carmelo Anthony dogging it at practice. And he is pointing at us like angrily yeah, and you know wow. George you know how George is and I'm like this is the first time I've really been around that sort of thing so I and he and and I'm not going to go into everything he said but it was angry uh Chauncey Billups walked by and uh well, the conversation kind of dissipated and then I got some information from Josh and stuff like that and we we're kind of talking about laughing about New Jersey's uh media getting all agog over the Carmelo Anthony situation. And that's the first time I had encountered that sort of anger about George. So, well, the next day I write a column on Denver Stiffs uh, talking to Carmelo Anthony, uh, not to Anthony, but about Anthony dogging it at practice based only on George saying that. Uh, I get an email from uh, Melo's agent at the time uh, basically saying, you talked to George, didn't you? Oh, this is wrong. Oh, this is wrong. I can tell you what this actually means. And he goes off. Well, all that to say, and I, I look back on that now and I regret the fact that I was, I took it because I, I don't blame George because I bet George's perception of that was he was talking in practice. But that's how tense things were getting. And that is how yeah. uh, reaching a breaking point it was getting. And the breaking point was rapidly coming because uh, Mello, from what I understand, had no thought he was going to be traded before the season. And the fact that he wasn't created tension. And it's amazing how they hold that, held that team together. Uh, that team ended up even after the trade winning 50 games that year. I don't know how they did it. Um, and the fans reaction after that got worse and worse and worse. And to the point where Mello started getting booed in a game against New Orleans, Mello was booed and was reacting much like he did these first two games of the series. Angrily, yeah. how dare you, all that stuff. And then finally he was traded and the pressure was released. My perspective on this is this. I had nothing against Mello when he left. You have a right to control your destiny particularly in a league that's dominated by players. However, I have no issue with fans who, who felt like Carmelo, as you said, Carmelo Anthony was actively disrespecting them to react the way they did. And fans have long memories. This is the same fan base that, blew, that booed Blair Rasmussen after he was traded in, uh, or signed with another team in 1990, right? Uh, this, is, this is something that is just stays there. It's fans. I don't blame them. I do not blame them. Yeah. And you could tell I it think, affected Mello. You could tell the first two yeah. games he was like all about it. He could not comprehend why they were booing him, even though he's dealt with 10 years of it, you know? I, I think he, and I, I think he's hurt. Like his comments after the game, I think kind of re reflect that he wants to be like the old friend that's come back and like, oh, remember the good times? And it's like, you you made the Western Conference Finals one time because Chauncey drug you there mm -hmm. alongside a pretty good defense and a really good team. Mm -hmm. You were great. Like he was great. No, no, no doubt about that. He was great. Scored a lot of points, shot a lot, shot a lot. Good job. Um, 
I think, like, I'll say this. Whenever I talk to people that were, that are more sympathetic to Mello, the narrative always erupts that there was so much going on behind the scenes and that he felt disrespected on multiple levels from the franchise. Mm. Um, he also didn't feel like the like ownership was committed to putting the pieces around him for him to compete. Right. I still struggle with that because I'm still like, you made the conference finals. Like they did put the team around you. Mm. Like 2009 was not at all in any way, shape or form. Um, like a one man mellow drugged them there. That's not how it was. Like it was defense. It was passing. It was Chauncey. A lot of it. It was toughness. And then it was like mellow filling in the gaps with his great scoring. And that's an awesome role for him. But I have a hard time being like, this team won't put the stuff next to you. I have as many criticisms and concerns about the Cronkies and we're going to have more. They have Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. Both coming up. And if they don't finish, if they don't keep both of those guys, it's going to be a reflection on ownership. This is their latest test. You always keep saying you're willing to pay for it. If they can build a winner, there is no doubt this is a winner. Right. Um, but I just can't – to me, I'll say this. It's very easy for players to position these power structures as the villain without taking responsibility for the fact that it's just something they wanted. Like, it's okay that Mello wanted to go to New York, but you have to own that decision. Like, you cannot expect the fans to be grateful. Like, this is the biggest thing. is like, you want fans to be grateful to you after you told them your city wasn't good enough for him? Right. Like, after you, again, you cannot say, like, well, I wanted to win. Well, one, you went to the Western Conference Finals here. You never made a conference finals in New York. You didn't go there to win. That team was garbage for a decade before you got there. And to be perfectly honest, wasn't that good after you got there either. Right. Um, and right. so I think if Mel, like, look, a lot of it is just like, look, I don't know how much of it would resonate through the crowd, but like, if Mello was like, I was at a different place in my life and I understand that I left this franchise in alerts. Like I was drafted here. I gave them good years. I tried to play great, but I understand like, if he just acknowledged it, I think things would be different, but he genuinely doesn't think that he did that he did anything wrong to Denver. Like, there's a very big difference between, like, well, do you have the right to do what you want? Yes, but you don't get out of the consequences for that. Right. It, it's, it's similar to, like, how we talk about, like, freedom of speech. It's like, yeah, you have the right to say whatever you want. You're not free of the consequences of what you say. Right. That's right. not how this works. Right. So you know, let me throw this in. Ultimately, I think. Yeah. Go ahead. Good. Oh, I, you know. I just think that, that Mello ultimately is going to, like, again, he'll be. Like I think that I think his name will be in the rafters even if they can't do the jersey. Maybe giving Nikola fifteen was a mistake because that just creates a level of awkwardness that maybe isn't necessary. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think his name will be up in the rafters. He is going to be forever associated. But I made this point on the DMVR post game show the other night, and to me, it's like the biggest. That's like this is my best argument. Is Carmel Anthony going into the Hall of Fame as a Denver Nugget? I uh, should. No, he's not going to go in, Jeff. He's going to go in, in as, a a, as a New York Nick. And, and actually, he said that on the Woj Pod. He says, like, uh, yeah, I'd go in as a Nick because that's what I'm most known for. And that was his rationale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I'm sorry that the Denver fans don't love you and bow at your feet after telling them they're not good enough and not important enough for you. But that's how it goes sometimes. Well, that was that was one of those things, and I I, I think uh, to give people some context, and uh, and I, I thank you for indulging me on this subject because I've needed to kind of go off on this. Um, to give you some context on this, Mello actually really was begging for help. Uh, he was convinced that the Nuggets needed to combat Andrew Bynum, and he was begging the off season of two thousand nine for a center, and the Nuggets tried for actually about a year to land some sort of center. In fact, they almost had a deal for Andres Biedrich. Remember him? And uh, they, they did, it didn't happen because, um, and to go with your thing with the Cronkies, Stan didn't want to cop to getting into the luxury tax. That's basically how it went. And that is, it is, I can, don't blame Mello for looking at that thinking, okay, these guys aren't committed. That part's perfectly fine. 
However, everything after Mello left has been nothing but him saying that Denver wasn't good enough or implying it. And I, you, you cannot blame the fans for getting angry at that. You cannot blame the fans for think, looking at this thinking, your rationale for leaving was just you wanted to be on the East Coast, you know, and, 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 and you went to a, a team that you made worse by the trade, right? So why, why, should we, why should we be, like, cheering for you? I get it. There will reach a point where people will forgive and forget. Okay, it happens with everyone. It happened with Dan Issel, and the way Dan Issel left was awful, right, in 2001. It happened with him. It'll happen with Mello. But I, it's just, I, Mello's surprise at this was really fascinating to me. And it, you could tell in, game, in both games, he played well in game, the first half of game one. But, man, you could tell it got to him. And you could tell he was like, why are you booing me? And yeah. that's going to be a thing. And I, I, I just, I, and his inability to deal with it, I guess, tells us what we need to know about Carmelo Anthony. Well, and I'll say this too. He reacted not just with that. You're right that he was like offended at the fact that he was getting booed, but it spurred in him. Like he's like, I, I said this, like he's a big reason why those games have been so contentious. Mm-hmm. Every altercation has been him barking back and forth with somebody like him and Jamal, like after the first one the other night, him and Jamal were barking back and forth. And I, I genuinely think that a big reason why, even though that game was winnable late in the or early in the fourth quarter for Portland, that Stotts didn't put him back in is I think Stotts knew that the odds were pretty high that if Melo was out there, there was going to be a fight. Like that's, and, and like, that's a lot of it. And like, look, you know, you mentioned like, that's the one you need about Carmel Anthony. I mean, I'll go easier on him than that. Right. Like, I don't blame him for having emotions. And I, and I understand that. I, I understand how he feels. My problem is like, there's nobody to push back on him. Like there's no, like, he's not going into onto a radio show and having somebody like actually go back and forth on him. It's like that. No, this is, and this is the thing with the star empowerment. Like they're not going to do like an interview where it's like, they get challenged. Right. You know? And like, if you're a reporter, you, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, why didn't one of the reporters do it? You can't. If you get access to Carmel Anthony for a one-on-one, you would better make it like a pretty fluff series of questions right. because unless you're somebody with the, with the leverage, that means you'll never get another one again. Right. Um, and that's how that goes. So, you know, like mellow is, is no one's ever going to be like mellow. Like you, you, this team went to the conference finals and then you bailed on them. Like you left them because you wanted a bigger market you thought that you could just go somewhere else and win. And in doing so you made their team worse. Like ultimately the trade was fine and they won a lot of games the next year, but you're not responsible for that. If it came out, like if, if somebody came out and reported that Mello had asked them, Hey, I want to make sure that we get pieces back. I don't want Denver to fall out of the playoffs after I'm gone. Then. Okay. But I'll just tell you, I got no reason to believe that. That would run contrary to every other interaction or anything reported about not only the mellow, mellow situation, but every major trade we've ever seen. Players are looking out for them because it's their career and they've only got so long. And I don't blame them for that. Again, you want to take that approach, you can. But the fans do not have to be loyal to you if you are not loyal to the organization they cheer for. Right. Right. 100%. 100%. Any, I know when we don't have to keep beating, uh, uh, I don't have to keep beating the, uh, the past uh, on this, but I think, I think it has been fascinating because I, I don't think I, the only player I've seen react poorly uh, to getting booed coming back to Denver was Andre Iguodala the first time he came back uh, because I genuinely think Iguodala had no idea why he was being booed. <laughs> he would look like genuinely shocked. They were booing him here, but the mellow has to be consciously aware of why, and he just doesn't want to admit it. And he, I don't think he, I don't think he wants to admit his part in it, I guess. And that's the thing in his mind, it's the nuggets uh, situation. Wasn't what I wanted. Uh, Masai, according to him had told him we were going to go young and he took that to mean we're going to be rebuilding. And uh, there's all this, extraneous stuff going on in his mind which you are myopic when you are in your own situation obviously you're not going to be able to sit and think of joe schmo sitting in the audience uh who's thinking of this looking like like man you're just dissing my city and i think that that is uh, his inability to step out of that is probably why it's leading to this 
And it's fascinating to me because I, 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 I think it became a storyline that I wasn't, I, I personally, and this is kind of applies to our next discussion about this game. This was a storyline I was not expecting and I wasn't expecting the impact that it would have. I just, I, and I guess maybe that's my own fault for not thinking that clearly about it, but I wasn't expecting it to affect the games, both games, as you pointed out, the way it did. Yeah, I mean, I kind of saw it coming just because, like, we did the the roundtable at 104.3 The Fan on Friday, and, like, that was a key question was, like, Carmel Anthony and the impact on everything and and that whole discussion point. We talked about that. And so, like, it was in front of my mind. Um, I'm also not surprised just from the perspective of these two teams have played each other enough that they don't like each other to begin with. Yeah. Um, Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, like, this is a rivalry, right? Like, I'm going to make somebody say it at the end of this series um i think there's at some point there has to be kind of be a recognition of like there's just a lot of baggage in the series between it's it's nurkic and you can tell like every time the joker scores on nurkic if you watch nurkic's body language like there's a level like you can just see it that he's like doesn't he doesn't want to have to admit that joker is just better than him and the team made the best decision of getting rid of him and that was before you add in all the other Nurkic stuff that happened um you got mellow and and mellow had like trying to stay relevant and trying to prove everybody wrong and um then on top of it this team and so like there's just like there and then you have dame versus Jokic and the mvp stuff like this, this is a series that's loaded with a lot of bad blood and i think uh honestly i am the officials i can't be mad at for that debacle in the third quarter because i think that was the only way that we avoided a fight in the fourth Right. No, you, I agree completely. And in hindsight, yeah, the whistles were annoying, but I, I, after Mello shoved Jokic in the first quarter of the, uh, of this game two, I came, I was like, this is going to get chippy, not nineties chippy, but it's going to get chippy. And uh, it did because a bunch of stuff broke out. Now the nuggets were playing into it, but a bunch of stuff uh, was happening and, uh, uh, Porter uh, shoving Nurkic after uh, Nurkic uh, like ran into him. Basically, it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of that stuff going on. And you're right, you're right. I do think the rivalry aspect of this is very underplayed, and we will talk about that a little more after we take a break. And I read for DraftKings, just yes, your favorite uh, sports book. Now it's time to talk to you about DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $5 into $200. That's 42-1 odds on any basketball games. All you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy, and if that team wins, you will receive $200 in free credits. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention, bet $5, and if that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. All it takes to claim 40 to 1 odds on the basketball team of your choosing is to place a $5 bet on the team that, for that team to win. Download the top-rated Directing Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $5 into $200 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win the next game, and they you will claim $200 in free credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Matt. Back to back to it. How do you like my uh, ad reading voice? By the way, I'm I'm. It was very good. Enjoy <laughs> these. And now DraftKings. Enjoy. <laughs> I, I, I've been experimenting. Um, okay, so this series tied one one, heading back to Portland, and um, uh, you've been. Uh, and I encourage everyone to listen to uh, Locked On Nuggets. Um, you can. They have a Twitter page uh, for the Locked On Nuggets, and uh, just you know Matt and. Uh, Adam Mata's have been giving you a lot of analysis on these games that you don't get here. I don't do daily. Um, I don't do uh, 
game coverage generally, I do the rare one. If you really want in-depth coverage, you got to go to the places that give you in-depth and locked on is the one that you need to go to. So, and outside of your analysis, like the quick right after the games hits. And I listened to your podcast with uh, Matt after game two or with, yeah, you're Matt with Adam after game two. And uh, now that you've had a time to step back and look at it, has that, what the Nuggets done or did in game two changed how you think the trajectory of the series is going to go? Because I had the first two games pegged, but reversed. I thought what the Nuggets did in game two was what was going to happen in game one. Uh, I thought it would be a split at home. Did you kind of have that feel going into the series and did how the Nuggets played in game two that kind of changed the way you think of the way the series is going to go? Yeah, I'll say this. I think that the Aaron Gordon stuff at least alters a little bit of my thinking. So I guess here, here's the better way to think of it. Um, I thought it'd be a split at home. I expected it to be a split on the road. I think this will be 2-2 coming back to Denver. The difference, I think, is like I knew how we were going to get there um, or I knew where we were going to get to. I didn't know how we were going to get there. And so, right. like, if, you, if you'd said, like, well, how are the Nuggets going to come back if they lose one? I'm gonna be, I would say, like, well, they'll find some sort of adjustment that will help counter what the Blazers are doing. And the answer in the game, too, was Aaron Gordon. Now, there's going to be counters to that adjustment. Like, I'll say this. The Nuggets had to make the first adjustment. They had to abandon their coverage of Compasso on Dame and go to Shaq Harrison and Aaron Gordon in game two. Um, the minute that you make that first adjustment, you have conceded ground in a series. Coaches never want to make the first adjustment. Like it, it is uh, a signal to your team and is a signal to the opponent that we have to change what we do because we're not just better than you. Right. Uh, now, I don't think there's any sort of surprise to that, which is one of the reasons why I think Malone, like Jamal being out gives Malone that ability is that Malone can be like, look, I'm shorthanded. I got to figure out, I got to come up with answers. And so well, let's go ahead and pull this out. And so he used Aaron on, on Dame. And I think that that'll probably work maybe for another half. And then Dame will start to find counters. The question is going to be, series are often decided by one of two outcomes. One team finds a counter that the other team can't counter that counter to. They can't counter adjust. Right. Um, and then that decides the series. That swings it, and everything from there is downhill. It falls apart for the other team. The other thing, and this is where series go long to seven, is both teams make adjustments, but it holds intention for just so long that you get to a game seven, you're out of adjustments, you've done everything that you can do, and it comes down to who hits more shots in game seven. Two years ago in 2019, it was C.J. McCollum. Evan Turner and Myers Leonard who made those shots. Right. Um, Will coming back is another factor in this that helps yeah. the offense. Yeah. I desperately wish PJ Dozier was available. He's not going to be back for the series. It would be such a big deal if Dozier came back. If Dozier came back, I would honestly probably be leaning towards switching my pick to Nuggets in seven versus Blazers in seven. Right. But even with the performance in game two, which you should expect from a team, like they couldn't go down 0-2 going to Portland. Right. Like series is over right. ask the clippers like it's done if you go down oh two going to the road team's house especially with fans back like that emotion is gonna be crazy right um the nuggets are gonna lose game three they're gonna win game four it's gonna be two two coming back to denver i expect them to win game five portland to win game six and then portland to win game seven i think we got a, a very similar game except for the first two games flipped from 2019 um that's where i'm at in the series you know it, it's funny you, you talk about the first adjustment i think the first adjustment wasn't gordon it was shaq harrison at the end of the first half i think that mm. that was something that i think obviously it threw lillard um because that last minute he couldn't get a shot off because uh, he was mad. He, it was he could not get a shot off because you know, Shaq Harrison was on him like uh, you know it's a white on rice, and I think that part got to him. And then Gordon, uh, according to Malone, stepped up and said, "I want to take him." And I, 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 to be honest with you, and and I think Nuggets fans need to look at Aaron Gordon and say that this guy did something and it wasn't on the offensive end. He wasn't complaining about his shots. He went and said, "I want to take him," which was I think uh, it showed a lot to me. Um, about where the way Gordon has kind of bought into what the Nuggets are doing here. Um, and I think that was cool. Um, I don't know how long, as you said, I don't know how long it, it's sustainable um, because there's always a counter, especially with a, a guy who can shoot as hot as da da Damian Lillard. It's, it, it's just, it, you can only delay it. 
basically is the, my, my view on that. There's no stopper. Um, but with the Nuggets, I, what I'm curious to say, maybe you can comment on this. Do you expect uh, Marcus Howard to play less in uh, game three? Because I think the obvious counter from what I, from my perspective at the time was to, to play Shaq Harrison more, even though you lose a lot offensively when he's out there. Um, I think maybe the resulting thing is that maybe if you put Shaq Harrison out there, you can, because they play Lillard and McCollum all game, either one of them is on the court at all times. If you have Shaq Harrison out there, maybe that is enough defensive counter for you on the second unit to keep you afloat and not get those minus minutes, um, especially if Paul Millsap is going to have a 15 points and 15 minutes performance again. I think it depends on one thing is Will's availability. So the broadcast kind of mentioned that it was possible to be back for game three. I've heard game four is more likely. Yeah. Um, but if he's back for game three, like then Marcus Howard is out. Like, the minute the Will Barton comes back, you have another wing that can actually score. And so Marcus Howard is out of the equation. Right. Um, I do wonder if Malone, because I was fairly surprised that he, I tried to mask it. So here's what happened. He, he plays Marcus Howard in game one and they lose. And after the game, I tried to mask my surprise and kind of disagreement with that decision behind like a, what did you think Marcus Howard brought you? And, and um, how did you think that Marcus played? And um, you know, why, why is that maybe a better matchup than, than Shaq Harrison? And Malone saw completely through my attempt and was like, go back and watch the last game, Matt, like go watch how they guarded Shaq Harrison. And I was like, all right. Um, But I knew he would get back to this point. Like, that's why I asked it. Like, you played, you started Tory Craig in certain situations, Michael. Like, I know what you want to do. You want to play the defensive guy. And so I knew that he was going to use Shaq at some point. I thought it might take until game three. Um, I do think that Mark, we're going to see less of Marcus Howard, especially here's the big thing is like, if Gordon can get them double digits, if Gordon can get them 15 points a night, then that, like, they won game two and MPJ wasn't even all that great. So he was great in game one. Um, didn't hit from the outside, but hit all those layups. If they can get a game where Joker does his thing, Gordon gives you double digits, and MPJ scores 30, which I think is coming, that's enough for a win. And that gets you, again, one of the two in Portland. And then you get back to Denver one, one uh, with 2-2. Two, two. So I, I, I think Marcus Howard is out when Will Barton gets back, but I do think that those extra minutes are going to wind up. If there's spot minutes, they're going to go to Shaq Harrison going forward. Um, I, here's my, here's my postulate uh, on how the series will pivot. And it, uh, to me, it depends almost entirely on Michael Porter Jr. for the Nuggets side. Uh, will coming back will be great, but uh, I'm not expecting a ton because he's coming off of injury. Um, and it may be a while to work him back in to get him into a shape for playoff time, you know. Uh, but he's coming back. We'll give them at very least, if he comes back in game three, he'll give them an emotional boost, uh, which I think will be key coming into their first road game. But I think Porter vis-a-vis the other star with Portland, CJ McCollum. And in my, my kind of minds, I keep thinking Mike needs to get be sta- above basically the production that CJ McCollum is giving uh, Portland. Mm. And I think that is the baseline I'm, I'm, I'm using because um, if you look at Jokic as a constant, which he is at this point, um, yeah. you need that, that second guy. And Mike was okay in the action. In fact, I thought he, considering he was missing all that, all those shots, those uh, three point shots, uh, the fact that he still had 25 and was able to hit all those layups and stuff, I think was okay. I like the adaptability there. Um, game, Two, he was less effective, and I think they're going to find a counter for Norman Powell's crowding. Um, I think they're, they, they will try to get Mike to get better running off of screens, which has been a problem. Um, and I think maybe if they get find that solution, game three will be the one where Porter breaks out, hopefully, uh, for the Nuggets' perspective. Um, but do, do you see – what do you see as someone who's, who watches this team um, – what do you see them doing to be able to get Mike a little more loose? Uh, a lot of the times is I, uh, I think he, I think he's just, to be honest with you, from my perspective, he's getting just muscled and he's not reacting well to the muscling. 
Um, do you think there is a counter that the Nuggets can have, or is it just all on Mike? I mean, I think he's been good, right? 25 in game one. Game two, they won, so they didn't need him. Right. Um, I will make a note on this. He's got to play well in a game they win. Like, this is really crucial. I, and I know it's not something he can control, but if they lose the good the good MPJ game, they're screwed. Right. They, if they lose – like, honestly, even with him shooting one of 11 or whatever from three in game one, that was a really bad loss. You got 25 – you got 55 from Jokic and him. You cannot have 55 from those two combined and then lose. You just, you can't. Because uh, part of it is like Joker's going to have a bad game at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, like if MBJ has a great game and Joker has a, ba- has a bad game, you're still not going to win. Right. You just don't have enough firepower. Right. So that's part of it. In terms of actual tactical adjustments, honestly, the biggest thing for me is they need to let him isolate a little bit more. They don't want to do that because it's so far out of their, the flow of their offense. Um. The DHOs are fine, but the teams, like, they have scouted that. And there's more you can do defensively with actions that involve multiple players where you can bring more help to the ball, especially with a guy that's not a phenomenal passer like MPJ. If you just put him in space, he's been cooking. I mean, he Powell can't body him if he's got – once he's got the ball. Right. You know, you can bring help, but he can make that read to the corner. So – I honestly think they need to give him more. Like, this is weird because it's, it's one, antithetical to the idea of good basketball and, two, antithetical to the idea of um, what makes the Nuggets great. But they honestly just need to give him some possessions where it's like, go work, kid. Like, right. just go to work. You know, give him, get him some post-ups in, at the elbow. Do, do stuff like that and let him go. And he'll have a game, I think, where he can produce enough for them to get a win. Isn't it kind of like – sort of what Jamal gives them, I think, in a sense that uh, he can create his own offense, uh, or at least uh, even though he's working really hard at it, he can he can do it on the ISO. Um, and I think Porter can uh, – one of the big criticisms of the first four games of the season prior to him going out with COVID was it was all him isolating. And it was it was yeah. outside of the offense. But he I think at one point he had, what, a 30-point game or something like that? Uh, doing that and it was outside what they're doing and they lost to Sacramento right so it is a it is a question of whether they can marry the two and I think they can because this is playoff basketball and playoff basketball is different and you kind of need some isolation in the playoffs so yeah I think you're right I think that is probably the adjustment and then maybe that would entail and maybe you know maybe you can look at this if it's with a better eye than I can maybe that would entail maybe him bringing the ball up a little more setting his own uh uh thing i don't know i i because if it if it devolves it the nuggets kind of in my view devolve into dribble handoff hell and it gets gets kind of like very predictable even with Jokic being as brilliant as he, as he is some of these perimeter guys it's like it's easy for norman powell to know okay that's it they're going for a dribble handoff the swinging gates coming this way you know yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think one thing to keep in mind is one of the reasons it's, it's still been effective, especially in the playoffs like last year, right? You do this because even though it's predictable, the edges in trying to stop it are very sharp, where you can know it's coming, but stopping two-man game with Jamal and, and Nicola, you, they, it's not like the Blazers didn't know. Like, right. they absolutely just – like, they, they, they the Clippers didn't know. Like, the, they, everyone knew it was coming. Right. You just can't stop it because you have to be so perfect. The problem is, like, MPJ is not at the point where he can run, pick and roll, two-man game, and make reads. No. He's just – he's not there yet. Like, that's probably the next step for him next year is being able to take the ball, come off the screen, or the dribble handoff, read the defense, and make the, the right pass. He's not there yet. Yeah. And his hands aren't great. Adam Ars has talked about this a lot, but his hands aren't great. And so that's hard too. If you have bad hands, it's hard to make touch passes because um, you're trying to handle the ball and then make sure that you're, you're finding the right guy. Um, I think the isolation stuff is, is key. The difference with Jamal was Jamal was able to manipulate defenses so well. MPJ right. just basically tries to beat them. And the thing is like he can, cause he's a six, 10, 50, 40, 90 shooter. Right. But they do need, I think, the way I've described that two-man game with Jokic and Jamal is it's blunt force trauma. Like, it's just, we're going to take a hammer and we're going to beat you with it over and over and over again. Okay. They need a weapon that's like that because 
when you have unpredictable offense, which is what the Nuggets run for most of the season, it makes them a lot of fun to watch. In the playoffs, the attention to detail is so much greater from the other from the defense, even for a crappy Portland team, that you can honestly like the the little edges go away, and so the small opportunities for cuts and duck ins and open dunks those evaporate at a much higher rate. And it's a lot harder to run complicated offense. You need simple stuff that you can go to the well to get you buckets when everything gets really tight, when the other team has momentum and things like that. But ultimately, like what we're talking about here, um, the offense has been good enough. The offense has been good enough for the first two games of the series. If they can just get the defense good enough, they're in good shape because Portland's defense is still absolutely trash. Like that's the saving grace in all of this. It's like no matter how – like that, if I'm wrong about this series, because I predict Blazers, Blazers to win this series, if I'm wrong – it's going to be built off of the fact that the, the Blazers defense is so bad. Not even the Nuggets lack of firepower is going to be a struggle to score against it. And through two games, that's been the trend. That's the most promising thing about the series right now for Denver right. is that Portland has shot blisteringly hot, but they can't stop anything. And if they can't stop Denver, Denver's offense is still better because of what it's built on and they can win the series. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I, and I think, I think if, if it was me, and like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not a coach, and none, if I ever coached a basketball team, they would lose every game. But my, my view is like the adjustment, you know, outside of Gordon on Lillard is maybe alternate Shaq and Gordon and uh, a little bit of Compasso, but uh, I'll be honest with you, Lillard, Lillard's already figured that out. So I'm, I'm not even – I'm not even wanting that necessarily, even though they're going to start the game that way. Um, I think he needs different looks. He needs different looks on him. And one of the reasons Gordon worked so well, I thought was because he wasn't expecting it. He wasn't expecting a six foot eight beefy fellow to be out there on the perimeter guarding him where he couldn't shake him and get loose. Uh, it, the poof is in the pudding. He only scored 10 points in the second half. And, uh, Four of those points are free throws. So, I, I mean, yeah. he was – he got he, – he, he can score, he can do all that, but that's the key. And then the other key is obviously McCollum and uh, not necessarily Nurkic. I, see, that's the thing with this. I, I'm not worried about everyone else on Portland, and maybe I should be. And maybe that's my own kind of nugget-centric view of this thing. I'm not necessarily concerned about anyone else but McCollum or Lillard. And is there another person on the Portland roster you can point to right now or just be like, that guy is the guy that's going to get loose and you really should look out for him? Norman Powell is going to have a game. Um, I think they run too much stuff through him, honestly. But Norman Powell is going to have a game. Um, I thought Melo would have a game and he kind of had it in game one. We'll see if he has another. I think it's seems pretty likely he's going to have another one in game two or game three. Like, I think he'll he'll have two games in the series. they did much better on Simons, so that's good. They got to contain Simons. You can't have the bench just absolutely slaughtering you with threes. But for me, it's Powell. Powell can create a little bit off the dribble. One of the problems that they, the Nuggets have had is they put him in the corner and then kick to him, and then Powell has beaten the closeout to go drive baseline and draw on fouls. And if you – like, this is going to be – like, this is where the, the battle is going to shift in games three and four is – the adjustment for Dame when Aaron Gordon is guarding him is okay. Aaron is a bigger defender that can crowd him and contest his threes better than Compazzo because Aaron is actually able to ride space mountain. And so with that, the, the counter then is that Dame is going to drive. He's going to take that space and the fact that Gordon is slower and he's going to drive and he's going to try and draw fouls on Gordon. Gordon has to let him go, guide him to help, the help defense has to come over and make Dame a passer at full speed. It is one of the key weaknesses in Dame's game. There aren't a lot, but that's one of the big ones. Dame's not a great passer at full speed. He likes controlled, measured passing. Come off the pick, make the read, dribble hesitation, pass to a cutter or, or a shooter. Right. He doesn't want to make full speed whip passes over his shoulder driving. So, I get back to Powell because if Powell keeps drawing those fouls and then Dame is also driving, that increases the odds. If they're attacking the rim, they're going to get more free throws. That's like a model for them to win is if they just get to the foul line and eat, which I kind of expect them to do in one of the games in Portland. Yeah. I think that that could be their adjustment. And I, it'll be interesting to see how the nuggets are able to, to get, because I, I I don't know. I, I my feel on this series changed after game one. Because I, was, I wasn't expecting 
the fourth quarter, the second, the set, the end of the second quarter and the fourth quarter to happen, uh, excuse me, end of the thir- third quarter to happen. And I, I kind of had to adjust there, but the, then again, the sec, the second game went as exactly as I thought the first game would go. So uh, maybe, maybe these teams, it's just a result of these two teams being fairly even. I mean, when, when you've got, when you've got two teams that are, that are even, especially as the nuggets are currently constituted, it makes for an entertaining series, a tense series, but it also makes for slight adjustments, making the whole thing kind of fall into place for another team for one game, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this, if I say this, I'm, you know, the reaction from outside is going to be like, Oh, you're a nuggets Homer, but I'm sorry. Like this is genuinely how I feel. Jamal plays in this series and it's a wrap. They're up two Oh, they're going to win game three. And this thing's done. Like this might be a sweep if Jamal plays. Their defense is so bad, um, but they just don't have any guards. <laughs> like the biggest thing is that you, you look in game one, if you can get away with playing Mellow and Cantor and win those minutes, the Blazers are going to win. And the easiest way to attack Mellow Cantor is pick and roll. You got to put everybody in motion. You can't do that if you don't have any guards. So, you know, this is where I think Will coming back is a big deal. And you're kind of in the same camp as Adam Mares. Adam's been very skeptical of like what Will's going to be able to give them. We'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens. I, I, I think I just want to believe that's, this is one where I want to believe, like I want, I will deserves a moment and yeah. it'd be really great if he was able to come back for say game four and have a big game and, and kind of turn the series around. But the, this, it, this is the best way to describe it. You said that they're very even, you're absolutely right. But like, I keep trying to stress this and I will keep trying to stress this. The Denver Nuggets, without three of their top five guards, are very even with the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, like right. that's <laughs> that's how this series is. Is like, yes, if you take off the Nuggets' second best player, who scored fifty twice in a playoff series last year, and Will Barton and PJ Dozier, then yes, the Nuggets and Blazers are even, and that's like that's where we're at. But it does kind of show you, I think, a lot. And like, look, Barton may not be enough to get the win. Right. Like that's, that is a lot to ask for him. Even if like he's in 10 minutes, like you can't expect Will to shoot great. You can't like, Will's going to have nights where he doesn't shoot well. Like he may have a night where he's absolutely clunking where he's like two of eight or worse. And so right. if, if that happens, they're going to lose. And this is the thing is, is, but they just got to, I'll say this. They just got to get a split in Portland. They win one of those two games. They come back home two two series and they're in, they're in great shape to be able to steal this one, but I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a real challenge. This is going to be a battle the whole way through. Well, especially with uh, Portland now allowing some fans to come in, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's going to be the way it is right now, but I'm looking forward to a tense battle, but, uh, but the last 10 minutes of this, I kind of want to focus on, what happened last night in the NBA and last night, as of this recording, the uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, beat the Los Angeles Clippers. And there's been a lot of schadenfreude going on and I don't blame people because the Clippers, it is to differentiate what happened between the Nuggets in 2019, which people have pointed out. And this Clippers thing is to me, night and day, the Nuggets, rested quote-unquote during the game against the Blazers and then needed a miracle shot by Paul George to beat I think it was at the Jazz it was the Jazz to beat the Jazz or the or the Rockets excuse me the Rockets in order to get the playoff positioning exactly like they wanted it there was extraneous things going on obviously game the game against Portland we can concede to this but Portland wasn't a worse a dramatically worse team what the Clippers did against the Rockets and the, uh, the, the Thunder was some of the most blatant tanking I've ever personally seen. And you had to try to lose, try desperately to lose that Thunder team who is, was trying to lose themselves. So yep. your view after that, watching that game last night and watching Luca go nuts and watching – this Dallas team say, okay, you want, you wanted to tank to get us and this is what's going to happen. What was your first reaction after watching that last night? I mean, look, I think it's, it's funny if you're somebody that hates the Clippers, but I'll say this, like the Nuggets did this the last two years. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, like I was talking to front office members who were asking me like, Hey, what's the permutation? Like what happens if we do this versus this? Right. And so we were, 
um, working on like exactly, you know, what their options were. So I'm like, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's all that bad that they try to manipulate. I just think they made the wrong choice. They needed the Blazers. They should have won that last game, gotten the three and faced Portland in the six. I think they kill Portland. I think right. they just kill Portland. Right. And I think the Nuggets do much better versus the Mavericks. That's a much better Maverick matchup for them. As much as everybody's like, are you kidding me with Luka and how THJ is shooting? The Nuggets are better suited to defend them. The Nuggets, the Clippers cannot play up at the level the way that the Nuggets can. And that's been a big problem for them. They just are not good at it. So um, the Clippers absolutely, I think, made a mistake in their calculation of trying to get the Lakers. And what they really want is they wanted the Lakers to be in the other like they wanted the Lakers to be on the other side of the bracket right. and that I think was their mistake I was talking to some some Clippers guys and the Clippers guys were not GMs or anything just fans um media members actually but those members were like I don't think they're scared of the Lakers and yet they did this and I was like you if you do this you are scared of the Lakers you're trying to duck them it's like well it makes you know longer until they beat him and I face him and I'm like okay but at some point like you need to I the biggest thing is the Clippers' identity is, like, they don't take the regular season seriously. They breeze through. They rack up stats. They get enough wins. They don't have signature wins. They get in the playoffs, and they think it's going to be easy. Like, this is not going to be easy. You have to earn this. You have to play hard. Right. And for me, as much as everybody, like, everybody points to Ty Lue or Paul George or the Clippers' identity, this is Kawhi. Like, this is all Kawhi Leonard. The team – several executives have told me this, and I do believe it your team takes on the identity of your best player right. in OKC with Russ. It was no compromise, all intensity, all the time, try and win every game, no compromises. Right. Like that was the team identity. The nuggets are, we play together. We play with a joy because that's like who Nicola is. Right. Right. The Clippers identity is basically like, yeah, life's pretty good. I get paid to play basketball where I live. Hooray. Oh, we lost. Oh, uh, not my problem. Like, <sighs> It's got to be somebody's problem, Kawhi. And so, like, that to me is, like, the big takeaway from this is I think everyone's given Kawhi Leonard too much of a pass. I don't care how many points he scored in game two. Oh, yeah, no, it's – I agree completely. And it has been interesting to watch them evolve through this way because the Doc Rivers got a ton of shit for the – and how the they, they played in the bubble and they got blamed for it and <laughs> yeah. they got fired. And then they're doing the same exact thing. Well – Doc got blamed because everybody was like, just don't play Montrez Harrell. If you don't play Montrez Harrell, they'll win. And I kept trying to tell people, I'm like, Jokic would have just cooked Zoo. Yep. Like, he would have cooked Zubac the exact same way. Zubac is not any better. Right. And now Zubac in the series through two games has a 146 defensive rating. The, the Mavericks are burning the building down when Zubac is, is on the court. Oh, so <laughs> I, I like this is the thing is like they don't have the bigs like the, having all these perimeter defenders doesn't matter if you have to contain pick and roll and you don't have the bigs to do it um and it, i agree completely and uh, did not uh, i'll stop piling on the clippers but i wanted to get to the lakers Suns. how disappointing is the chris paul injury and i i just i'm looking at this thinking i just don't see how the Suns pull this out but i think it's going to be a long series but i i just i just don't see how they put they win the series with paul being as compromised as he is right now um there's only two outcomes here one is that paul needs surgery and in that case they're screwed right if it was a stinger i've read that and seen things that it's not surprising that it's still bothering him but that it's going to improve a lot as the days goes on that basically two days was not enough for him to get for it to recover enough and that they don't play again, I don't think, until Friday. And so, right. like, there's time for him to get right. He might be able to get right by game four. They're in the same spot as the Nuggets, though, right? Like, get, get one in L.A., and you're fine. It's 2-2 coming back home. You got, you've got home court, win two out of three at home, and with two games at home, rather, and you're in a good spot. I don't think they're going to do it because I just think, like, I've learned over the last, like, two years of just – you need to trust the the narrative arc of NBA history and the narrative arc of NBA history bends towards some teams and players and against some teams and players. And it bends always towards the Lakers. And so like, I believe the Lakers are going to win this series beyond all the matchups, but I don't think Phoenix is drawn dead in any way. And uh, lastly, um, how much do you, um, how much do you, uh, believe that the 
Boston Celtics will be able to survive intact as they are on through executive to coach to players next season. Because I look, I look at this Boston team and I see a pile of mediocre and yeah. I just, I, Jason Tatum can't overcome that roster. He just can't. And I, I just don't see how the, the Celtics go into next season as constituted as they are. They, they have to do major changes you would think, right? Yeah, so I don't think Ainge bites the bullet for it because even though he's been there a long time, you still look at it and you go, okay, he did. He built the big three. He won a championship. Uh, he retooled around the big three to get them in the conference finals in 2012. They've made the conference finals so many times under Ainge, and, like, they should have been better. Like, a lot of things went wrong. Like, it's not his fault that Kyrie Irving is a space cadet. It's right. not his fault that Gordon Hayward – um this chose charlotte like i think there were things he should have done in terms of trading gordon to indiana for turner i think would have been changes everything but he didn't like he's made mistakes no doubt about it but tim Connolly's made mistakes so i don't think he pays the price he said at the trade deadline this is not a championship roster as currently constituted and if a gm comes out and says that very openly especially with the expectations that boston has there's going to be changes so i look I've reported twice that they've been close to dealing Marcus Smart. I've heard, I got that from multiple sources. I wasn't going from one side or one team. I got it from multiple sources that they had a deal on the table for the Warriors pick uh, with number two last year, which turned out to be James Wiseman Mm -hmm. for Smart. And I read that they, uh, or I reported that they were, they included Marcus Smart in, um, or at least were the Magic had wanted Marcus Smart in the Aaron Gordon talks. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, they wanted him. I think I always kind of got the impression that was a no-go from Boston side, but that's what I think is probably the move is you trade Marcus Smart, you add some sort of big man, you reconfigure that way. Mm. They're going to have to clear some roster space. They're going to have to clear some money, but I think like Tatum, Brown, the biggest thing is also I think they got to get rid of Kemba. I love love Kemba, and I hope that he succeeds elsewhere, but it just hasn't worked for him there. He's just been snake bit. He's getting older, and it's been rough. So I think there will be changes. I don't think Stevens takes the blame. I don't think Ainge takes the blame. I think they get another year, but I do think that the major changes are coming to the roster in the offseason. Well, I'm surprised because, I, I, man, I see this team, and then this will be the last thing. I see this, this Boston team, and I see just – Brad Stevens is great out of timeouts. Brilliant. The best out of timeout uh, coach I've ever seen. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Spolster's great too, but man, Stevens maybe takes the cake. Um, I'm not, he looks completely incapable in, in of motivating his team in, in a way. And I, and I guess maybe that's the other part of coaching that I keep thinking of. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm over, maybe mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating that. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll push back on that a little bit. I think he's done that with every team that he's had except this one. Hmm. So you don't make the conference finals without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward in 2018, unless you can motivate the team. You don't make the conference finals with Isaiah Thomas as your best player in 2017 Um, uh, without being able to motivate your players. You don't – they've always been so scrappy. Like, they are just scrappy as hell. Um, And that's what's been really surprising about this year. I think the pandemic has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think the schedule – the testing, Tatum getting COVID, the interruptions. I think it made it hard for Stevens to motivate it. I will say, like, I do think this this group tuned him out more, which is one reason why, like, they like a lot of their young guys, right? Like, they like um, they, they like Neesmith and they like all those guys. I kind of think they got to switch up some of the new guys because I think some of the new guys just are – they don't hear Stevens, and that's a problem. Like, I think the rest of the guys have responded really well to Brad, but – um, he's been really good at motivating his team through the years. You've been able to count on the Celtics as underdogs. And this is the first year where they've come into the season as underdogs and underperformed. So I tend to think that's either a consequence of the roster or the circumstances surrounding the season, but I'm not willing to put this on Stevens yet. Okay. Well, uh, I, I thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and, uh, uh, I should have you on more than I do. So <laughs> that's on me. Um, 
Well, thank you, and uh, I appreciate it. And uh, tell them all, everyone, where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on the Action Network. Download the Action Network app today. It's the fastest way for you to track your scores. It's actually faster than the TV feed, I found out. I've tracked it from the arena to actual TV, and uh, our app is faster. You can uh, catch my work on that. I have update uh, things on the series preview. I have the on my Twitter handle, HP Basketball. You can read the definitive case for Nikola Jokic for MVP, which should be announced, by the way, next week. Uh, he'll be winning that award, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and uh, you can catch me on Locked On Nuggets. You can also listen to me after every game on 104.3 The Fan as the Nuggets insider and throughout the week on 104.3 The Fan, including our Nuggets roundtable where I yelled at James Merrillat uh, for being insane, for wanting to hold Michael Malone accountable when his second best player is out. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Anytime for you, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and I'll be back soon. Ta-ta. <laughs>